Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Recover Everything podcast, where we have honest discussions about everything in recovery. I'm your host, Chris West. On today's episode, we have the spiritual counselor, Tyson Kern. He is a Buddhist, a really, really nice guy, and one of the most altruistic people I've met in recent times. One of the most positive people I've met, and just kind of a all-around ray of light, to tell you the truth. Subscribe to us on all the major streaming platforms. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that goodness. And send us a story. Reach out to us. Talk to us. We really would like some feedback and just to kind of meet and talk to our new audience. During this episode, we are going to be talking about spirituality and not any religion in particular, more non-denominational and just spirituality in general relating to recovery. My co-host today is Dr. Sarah Shonian, and I really enjoyed this interview. I really enjoyed Tyson Kern, so enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Recover Everything. I'm your host, Chris West, and on today's episode, we have our co-host, Dr. Sarah Shonian. Hi, everybody. And our guest today is Tyson Kern. Hello. Tyson, you are a spiritual man. I am a spiritual guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you work in the recovery industry? I do. Yeah, currently I do. How'd How'd that get started? Um, about nine years ago, I was introduced to the VA hospital to work with veterans with uh, PTSD. And the person who basically became my boss brought me over into the addictive disorder treatment program to work part-time. So I kind of fell in unintentionally Mm -hmm. and had a connection with some of the clients at the VA and was offered a job to interview at a recovery center here in Las Vegas and picked it up a few months ago and have just thoroughly enjoyed it. What were you doing before that? I worked for the state. Uh, I was an officer that did investigations uh, for the marijuana industry here. Oh, really? Yeah. You were a police officer? Not a police officer. I I was... Investigative officer. uh, I was called a revenue officer, so we kind of tracked down the financial aspect of the marijuana industry. That must have been interesting. It it was fun. A lot of, yeah. Did you do any raids? Um, We did a couple. Yeah. That's awesome. that is. Like, had the gun Mm -hmm. and everything? No, no, we didn't didn't carry a gun. Notebook? Uh, Yeah, notebook and And pencil. Yeah, we we had a citation book. We'd issue citations and... Nothing too dangerous, man? No, not really. No. Not really. How did the spiritual stuff start? Um, I had been a martial artist my entire life. And I kung fu special uh, specifically right? yeah kung fu uh, southern five animal was my my style and that's it's, uh, Chinese, Chinese? Or, yeah through the Shaolin temples okay and um, when my teacher passed away I found a new teacher who wanted me to start studying Buddhism mm-hmm. and I told him no that's hippie yoga crap I don't want <laughs> anything to do with that and uh, I became injured and he said well let's take a little break from the kung fu and I said well let's try it but I'm I'm never going to be a Buddhist mm-hmm. but it just it was the right thing for me. Did you wow. have any affiliate, like religious affiliation before that? You know, I, I'd been looking for religion since I was 23. Mm-hmm. And about the age of, of 28, I stopped looking for religion and started looking more towards spirituality, which mm-hmm. I think is, they, they are, coexist, but they're two different things. They're definitely right. two different things. Yeah. So what was the, the light bulb moment? You know, it was, uh, we started going through just some of the basic things and, and looking from a spiritual perspective, I was trying to fix what I realized was broken inside of myself. Mm-hmm. And so we, we started on just some anger management techniques on a Buddhist perspective. And it was the first time that like, I realized I'm the one who's angry and mm-hmm. I'm the one who holds on to the anger. And so it was kind of like an aha moment of, Hey, this stuff works for me. I recently learned, or we recently mm-hmm. learned about the eightfold path. Mm-hmm. And what was the four? Oh, four noble truths. Four noble truths. Yeah. Was that something that you got into Around the same time? Um, not initially. I think that my teacher did it wisely and mm-hmm. kind of picked a couple of things that he thought that I might like a little bit more or relate to a little bit more in the beginning and s- stayed away from some of the traditional teachings until I felt comfortable. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think he, 
he tried to stick to just some teachings that he thought would relate more to my life in the beginning. And it was a little later on that we covered the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths and some of the other traditional teachings. What do you, how do you feel about the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths? You know, it's one of the things that I lead off with when people ask me about Buddhism because I think it's kind of the foundation of every lineage of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, To me, I mean, Buddhism is really about... Eliminating the suffering that we're creating and mm-hmm. then uh, not allowing suffering that other people create in our lives to hold us back or keep us from achieving the things we want to achieve. Because in, in that perspective, there's always going to be some type of suffering. So eliminate what you can is pretty much what you... Um, well, the, the Four Noble Truths are one, that suffering exists, two, that, um, that there's a, an origination to suffering, Okay. three, you can stop personal suffering, and then four is... The way to stop personal suffering is through the Eightfold Path. Have you heard of this refuge recovery? I've heard of it. Because we interviewed them and they they have a form where they use a version of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and kind of make a version of 12-step? Yeah, it's like of? a step-by-step process. Yeah, it's an alternative to mm-hmm. the 12-step um, uh, AA program. Mm-hmm. Um, what they've done is they've taken the Four Noble Truths and basically adjusted them to specifically addiction yeah. and done the same thing with the Eightfold Path. You're working on something similar? Uh, yeah, one of the, the counselors in the mental health area that I work at, uh, we are co-authoring a book called Spiritual Recovery, and it's basically an alternative to uh, the 12-step AA program. Really what it's more about is we get a lot of patients or clients that don't identify with God or the concept mm-hmm. of God, and so when you get through the second step of believing in a higher power on the 12-step program, they kind of get stuck. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on how to basically go through recovery without having a belief in God or questioning a belief in God. What do you think the difference is between spirituality and religion as it relates to recovery and the 12 steps? Um, so I think that religion is less important than spirituality. Right. In my a opinion. lot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot less, yeah. in yeah. my opinion. I mean, you know, we... we sometimes seem to identify religion as a specific denomination Mm -hmm. and we get hung up on the details of that denomination. Whereas with spirituality, we're looking to basically love ourselves a little bit more and establish a relationship with what we believe our higher power is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's huge on, on the steps to recovery because when we don't like ourselves, we, we feel like using, or we feel like trying to escape that and go to a, an altered state of reality. Do you find it difficult to, like when you have a client that is like, I, I just, as atheist or maybe even agnostic, that it's like, I, I don't believe in God at all, but you're trying to like instill some type of spirituality. Like what, what kind of, how do you break down that wall? Um, those are actually my favorite patients or clients are the ones that don't believe at all. And um, when we sit down in one-on-ones or even in groups and people bring that up, I say, it, it's okay. I struggled for a long time with that. And your higher power doesn't have to be something that you can't see or touch. Um, and so we introduce them to just the basic concept of what a higher power is. And specifically in AA, they say it's anything greater than ourselves. And so I'll, I'll use an example of like my grandmother, mm-hmm. who just unconditionally loved me. And I like to believe that wherever she is, you know, after death, she can still see me. Mm-hmm. So I put her in the car next to me or at the bar seat next to me and say she's watching me. So I need to. And that that was my higher power for many, many years. And just helping somebody to understand that that doesn't have a belief in God or, or is unsure of their belief is huge. What about, I mean, I'm making an assumption because I don't know, but I'm assuming that if you are Buddhist, that you're practicing meditation and mindfulness mm-hmm. regularly and introducing those things. I think there's a lot of value to that um, in recovery and for any human being really. But I've also noticed that people that tend to be more religious also tend to struggle with the idea of meditation and mindfulness. So those are like buzzwords sometimes. They're like, oh, I don't want that Buddhism stuff. Like it's not for me, you know? Yeah, I I think there's a little bit of a stigma Mm -hmm. with meditation specifically. People are like, oh no, I'm Christian. Right. We we were taught not to meditate. What's the difference between meditation and praying to me, in my opinion? You know, there's there's not much of a difference um, other than we do. There's so many different forms of meditation. Um, You know, it's, it's like meditation, I think, is better likened to college in the sense that like you don't say I'm studying college 
Mm-hmm. You go to college, you study science, you study sure. math, you study English, and meditation is the same thing. We have empty mind meditation to kind of clear the mind. We have meditations that help us on a spiritual level to think about the things that we've done and then meditate on how we'd like to do them better because the mind is very reactive and we we tend to do the same things over and over, but we can reprogram the brain to act how we want it to act instead of running amok on its own. So spirituality, I think, is really important in recovery, but I was curious to know your perspective of it. I, I agree. I think that um, spirituality is, well, I mean, I'm a priest, so I mm-hmm. think that it's one of the most important things in recovery. But I, I think that spirituality is one of the things that helps us to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. When I when I believe that there is a tomorrow, when I believe that there's an afterlife, it changes the decisions that I make. Right. And when we're in recovery, um, it's easy to say, there's nothing, I have nothing, there's never going to be anything, mm-hmm. and go back to using again. Right. So I, I, for me, I personally think it's one of the most important aspects. Yeah. Would you agree that spirituality is more of just an understanding of your position or place in the world instead of, like it's more of like an intri- intrinsic or internal experience as it relates to the outer world and kind of like that relationship instead of extrinsic i guess spirituality spirituality or religiosity is more like dogmatic and like following these steps but never really feeling it on the inside you know for for me i think that spirituality is definitely intrinsic and and i think it's you're finding your your place in the universe and Mm -hmm. life and um but for a lot of people i think that spirituality is an extrinsic because they expect something in return from it and i think that that's where a lot of people fail spiritually Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the first things that we talk about in the groups that i do is not expecting something back from your higher power not expecting something back from your which is like the third step right when you're supposed to like do like the exchange basically i think that the third step it was explained to me and then how we kind of used to teach it when i worked in treatment was more of like this exchange process where you you submit everything to your higher power and then in return you're supposed to get this like fulfillment or like sense of peace kind of and so you give something away to your higher power and then you're supposed to feel fulfilled and then eventually have this spiritual awakening that people talk about but i think a lot for a lot of people they they don't have that spiritual awakening um, the, or they like might like write everything down and work through it, but it's not internal, you know? Right. The, the clients that I've worked with on the third step, mm-hmm. that what they've come to me and told me is that's where they basically give their lives to the higher power right. and allow the higher power to guide them. And I, I kind of caution them and I tell them, you know, let's, let's use God as mm-hmm. a higher power, as an example. Um, you can't just say, okay, I'm giving my life to God and he's going to make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. When you're turning your life over to your higher power, I, I tell them, you know, it's like you have a limousine and mm-hmm. you're saying, okay, God, drive me around. But that's not the way it works. The right. way it works is you're driving the limousine and you're saying, God, get in the back seat and tell me which way to go. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to you whether or not you listen to that higher power. And it, it, eventually if the limo wrecks, it's because you wrecked it. Right. So one of the issues I have, and maybe you can help me with um, especially when it comes to, um, I've had anxiety issues and a lot of them are like existential religious problems. Uh, I have a deep belief in a higher power, but part of my belief system is that it's indifferent, uh, not nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's really hard for me to switch that. Like, I know it's not a healthy thought that like, whatever this God thing is, it's not a nice thing. It's, not, it's it's very negative to me, even though I believe in it purely. I mean, have you come across that before? I've come across pretty much everything yeah. uh, in the spiritual realm. Um, if you look at the traditional sense of God, uh, God was an angry God in yeah. the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the Old Testament, yeah. In the New Testament, God was still an angry God. He was a little nicer. Uh, well, the only thing, the only difference was he sent his only, only son. son down. Mm-hmm. And depending on which Christian um, Christian denomination you, you sure. talk to, everything is a little different. But um, the the idea behind that was that we were to have somebody we could relate to. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got somebody who's calling you on the phone all the time, telling you something you don't really have a tangible person that you're sitting with that you can connect with and identify with. And that was kind of the point of, of Christ. And so people look at God as an angry God, but I, I, I try to say, you know, outside of or inside of the, the concept of God as a parent, sometimes I'm angry yeah. with what my kids do. It doesn't mean I don't love them anymore, but I have to punish them sometimes to deter behavior. Um, and, and I kind of see the higher power that way. Um, I try not to look at things in the sense of punishment, Me neither. more in the sense of a lesson. Um, my, my real belief system is 
my own and like weirdly molded through a lot of things. And one of those things is science. So I kind of see it as like how cells split. I kind of see that as how God is, uh, how they say in the Bible, like he made us in our image or in his image. It's like a, how a cell splits and just keeps splitting and we evolve. And, and in my opinion, that we're like a reflection of that higher power who's just trying to experience the universe. Um, and, and to me, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It's just experience. So that's where the indifference comes from. And it's hard for me to get around that on a spiritual level. You know, I think everybody has their own sense of spirituality. I think everybody has their own sense of a higher power. I've, I've sat two Christians down before and said, explain God on a piece of paper. And they have completely different you know, concepts of it. And I, I think that what the higher power is, is less like the, the details of what it is are less important than what it's there for. Sure. And I think that the higher power is there for us to look at as a, as a model. Hmm. Um, I don't have one higher power. I look at different situations as a higher power. Um, I, for a long time, I looked at the um, Mother Teresa, Mahatma sure. Gandhi, and Jesus. And, and I thought they were three people. They're people that like me, human body. And if they could do all these good things, why can't I do all these good things? Because ultimately, to me, spirituality is trying to better society, trying to better ourselves. Why? Um, we all want to live in a better world. Some people don't. Some people don't. Um, Some people want to blow up stuff. I, and in the name of <laughs> spirituality. I, I think that sometimes people are misdirected. Sure. Um, I think any any religion, you're going to find people that are extremists in multiple directions. Yeah. Um, in society without religion, you're going to find extremists in every direction. Um, but I think if you look at the statistics in 2016, the world population was 7.4 billion people. Mm -hmm. Only 7 million people said that they didn't believe in God or were unsure of God. So 90% of the world has some sort of belief in a God because they belong to a religion. Sure. And so I think that, you know, the odds are more stacked in, in the favor of people want the world to be a better place and they want a higher power to exist, to help them exist in a better life. I think people are innately good. And then, like you said, they get, they get misdirected. They get misdirected. And sometimes people get indifferent because they, they have that extrinsic belief in the higher power or spirituality. If I do this, it's going to make my life better or mm-hmm. I'm going to see immediate results. And, and I don't think that's necessarily how it works. I would, I would agree. Mm-hmm. How do you, when you're working with clients, one of the questions that I had was, do all of the clients get the opportunity to see you? Is it part of their programming or do they say, I need spiritual help or do you just do a group that clients have to go to as part of their programming or how does that, so how I'm, does that work? I'm involved in six groups mm-hmm. a week right now mm-hmm. and they are, they're called mandatory for the, for the clients, but mm-hmm. they don't have to come if they choose not to come. Right. Um, and in those groups, we talk about a set of different things relating to spirituality, meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, anybody who wants to set up an individual session with me, they can. Okay. Can you give me the initial treatment? Say I'm a client. Okay. How would you start? In an individual session? Yeah, in general. Um, well, normally what happens is I, I rarely meet with a client prior to a group. Mm-hmm. And so we'll sit down to, um, I, I have a set of eight classes that I've come up with for each of the groups that I do. So it's kind of a rotating. That sure. way the clients always have something fresh. Um, so we do an introduction to higher power, introduction to spirituality, a meditation class. They'll, they'll have one of those and something will strike them and they'll, they'll come up. And the, the most common question I get is, okay, I have a lack of faith. I have a lack of spirituality. I have a lack of religion. I don't believe in God. So what do I do? And then we sit down and we, we just kind of talk it out. Do you think that treatment programs kind of fail clients when they're mostly 12 step based? Because it, I, I think that from my experience, people that when the 12 steps don't work for them or they don't fit into that box, they feel like they're fundamentally flawed. That's a difficult question for me to ask because I've only worked for one recovery center. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I, what I have seen, the, the common denominator with the veterans that I've seen mm-hmm. is the continue continual like work towards progressing. Yeah. Um, they, it's not a, 
uh, an inpatient program at the VA hospital. They mm -hmm. come a couple of times a week. And the people who continue coming seem to stay sober. And when they stop coming, they relapse. Right. And I don't know that 12-step has anything to do with the failure. I think that it's more of a lack of, of that ongoing um, commitment. Commitment, mm -hmm. yeah, the meetings. The Sustainability is hard. And, and, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I can't really answer if 12 steps is a failure because I don't mm -hmm. really work the 12 steps. Right. Um, you know, once once we get to step four, which is where they want to confess all the sins they've ever committed, mm -hmm. the, I've never had a client come and ask me to work any of the steps past that with them. They do that usually with their counselors. Mm -hmm. How often do you see clients? I work on Sunday and Monday um, at the recovery center that I work at right now. Um, but I also am available to them throughout the week if if I have more requests than I have time on those two days. What's the average amount of time you spend with like a, a client? Say they come to the group, they want a one-on-one. -on -one. How much? How long does that last? Usually an hour. Okay. Um, but I have I have some clients that will want to meet with me two or three hours a week, mm -hmm. and I try to make myself available for them as much as possible. That's a good amount of time. Because mm -hmm. my next question is, is is that like how much time do you do until you, you start seeing results? Usually after the first group, just listening to somebody talk and and reaffirming in them that it that's okay. You know, when they come to me and they say, I don't believe in God, I'm never going to believe in God. And then they give you the look and they're looking for that like assurance. Um, and, and I said, that's okay. Do you, do you run into people that, that don't get that reassurance? Because I've been in conversations like this before with, with educated spiritual people. And I, I have never felt that spark. I've never had like looked at, at a person like, please affirmate what, tell me it's okay that I don't believe. How would you deal with that with a, like a, like a client that is, is that resistant? Like you were telling me that you don't believe in God? Uh, I think that how to deal with a client that maybe isn't seeking validation or if you say that it's okay that they don't, they don't care, they shut down. Is that what you're sure. like? Somebody that's way Cause, resistant. Because what you're, you're telling me is, Sometimes clients wait to look at you to tell them it's okay. They don't believe in God. And then you move on from there. Mm -hmm. But what happens if they don't look at you to tell them it's okay? Like what happens if that okay isn't good enough? I haven't come across that yet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I truly believe it's okay if you have no belief in God whatsoever. And sure. I, don't, I don't think that will hinder recovery as long as we can d determine what a higher power in your life is. I'm, it, it, there has to be mm -hmm. someone that is like, I just, there's not, there's nothing. I, I have not had a client like that. That the the one that was the most resistant to like anything being a higher power that was not tangible. I I said okay, so you're an educated man. You've been through a master's program in college. Um, how does gravity exist? And he was like, I don't know. It just does. And I said, How does photosynthesis work? Mm -hmm. I mean, how how are the reproductive systems and the organs in the the human body set up the way they are so that we can continue to evolve? I really don't know, he said. And I said, I don't know either, but I find it hard to believe that all of that is random, that there's nothing that maybe maybe there's not a God that that point, points his finger and does things like in each of our individual lives and controls everything that we do. But there had to be something that set up these rules. Otherwise, the, the universe would just be complete chaos. And he was like, yeah, you're right. And he said, so maybe maybe my higher power is the sun because mm -hmm. it helps things grow. And I said, great. Because yeah. we've established a higher People have been power. doing that for millions of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you believe in signs? I'm, I'm, I'm asking you personally. Mm, I, Universal I believe, synchronicities. Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe in the power of signs. I mean, we can find a sign in anything we want to sure. find a sign in. Because um, I struggle with this as well, with a line between what what is crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> and what is the universe telling me to do? And most of the time I lean towards, you're just crazy. <laughs> I don't think that we all have the same purpose in life. Sure. Um, and I, I, I feel like I know what my purpose in life is. And that's got to be awesome. Uh, it's good for me. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I look back to being a young child, seeing homeless people or people begging on the side of the road and wanting to give them the, the little bit of change I had or give them a sandwich for my lunchbox. Um, like I've just wanted to help people. And that's that like desire to help and that constant thought in the back of my head, I feel like has been a higher power for me because I still look at it as it doesn't tell me to do bad things. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's somebody speaking to me. It's just that thought in my mind to be kind to other people. Um, so is, is that a sign that I was meant to be a priest? I don't think so. 
I never really wanted to be a priest. I was kind of pushed into it. How so? Um, I never wanted to be Buddhist. I was very mm-hmm. upfront that's, with that teacher. Yeah, yeah. And um, after after he kind of talked me into taking the the Abhiseka, which is the Buddhist baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, after what is, what is that process like? Um, it's it's a short ceremony where you do you take five precepts or five vows, mm-hmm. um, and then no water involved. There's a little water. It's in a small pot, and they pour it into your hands. You drink a little bit, and then you rub it over the top of your head. So there's a cleansing aspect it, to, yeah. with that as well. Yeah, and then. Um, he came to me in, in 2005 and said, I want to ordain you a priest. And I said, man, I didn't even want to be a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, but you've been teaching classes for me. You've been doing all of this stuff. And I said, well, what's, what's in it for me? And he said, you know, there's, there's these 32 vows plus, um, or 36 vows plus five personal vows. And you hold yourself to like a higher standard. And I said, well, what are you going to do to punish me if I break any of these vows? And he said, you're not vowing to me, you're vowing to heaven or the universe. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, that's what I need in my life to stop being an idiot. Mm-hmm. Because I know I know what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people do, but I still did wrong things on purpose. I think that that's kind of one of the most beautiful things about Buddhism sometimes is I was reading this book one time that was talking about these people that were asking questions about how do I be a good Buddhist? How do I do this? How do I do that? And then the responses were very similar where it's like you, you already are like, you're just, just be yourself and you know, good, you know, bad, you know, just do your best to be kind. And, um, whereas I feel like other religious denominations, there's not any problem with it, but it seems like people, um, need something else or like need a consequence to be motivated to do good, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think I was the opposite growing up. Like when you told me I had to do something, I automatically didn't want to do it. Yeah, I'm the right. same way. yeah me when, too. <laughs> when you told me you can't do that because it's wrong, I thought, okay, well, that just means it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I can do it yeah, don't and get this. away with it. Yeah. <laughs> or do it in the right way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. For most people, they, they almost need that fear mm-hmm. of, yeah. of some of the organized religions of if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Right. And I, I, I didn't need that fear in my life. What I needed was a set of we don't do this because give mm-hmm. me the explanation of why we're not supposed to do it. Don't just tell me not to do it. Right. I think that's such a good fit, too, for the people that struggle with or are living with addiction because it's their scapegoats, you know, like I identify as a scapegoat and it's like that whole thing where it's like, don't touch it. I'm going to touch it twice just to see what happens, you know? Right. And so to have an explanation instead of just an arbitrary set of rules, that's nice. Yeah. You know, I, I, I grew up in a Christian family and we were told don't drink alcohol because it's, it's wrong. That's all we were told. And I was like, okay, well, wrong again is code for fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then getting older, when when we take the precepts in Buddhism, we say, I vow not to abuse intoxicants, including alcohol, because I understand that it destroys my body and this body is a gift. And like we, we go through all of the reasons that we don't want to abuse intoxicants because of the, the ill effects to our bodies and our relationships. You, you obviously didn't have like an addiction problem, I, I'm guessing, uh, before... You took these vows, but now you are not putting anything terrible into your body. Um, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of an interesting person in the fact that I hate labels. On okay. things. Um, I feel like once you label somebody, you know, like to, to say, OK, I'm an I'm an addict. Yeah. And and people will say I'm a recovering addict. Yeah. I haven't right. had a drink for 45 years, but I'm a recovering. Well, right. I think after 45 years, I don't know if you're still a recovering addict. You know, I, there's I, some conflicting views around, uh, around this yeah. community about that. I I am totally leaning towards with you, uh, but there are people I, that have different views, and that's okay. From a from a, I want to let you finish what you're talking about about your story. But from a biological perspective, they say that addiction is a lifelong disease because it stays in your long term memory, and so forever, that's always something that's like kind of. Um, in the back of your mind. So when you don't cope with stress or, you know, things happen and you don't manage your recovery, you don't manage spirituality, you don't take care of yourself. That's what's in the back of your head calling like this will make it better. This will make it stop. So just from a biological perspective, that's why it's a lifelong chronic disease, you know, and but the labels are heavy. The labels are heavy. And I think that sometimes they can become a crutch or even a scapegoat. You know, of well, course. I'm an alcoholic, which means I or even a wall. I, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to relapse. Mm-hmm. That's part of the process. And 
you know, and, and I, it, it saddens me when I hear clients who say things like that. Well, this is my first time through, so they've already told me that I'm going to relapse. And I say, well, yeah, they're expecting it. Why put right. that into your mind? I mean, mm-hmm. as a, as a young child, I had a friend who was a little slow learner mm-hmm. in, in school and they told them, you know, we think you have dyslexia. We think you have, mm-hmm. and you're going to struggle with this the rest of your life. Well, guess what now? I mean, he just struggles with it for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, there's a lot of people who get past those things. But when you're labeled with it at an early enough age, you just believe that that's what it is and it can never change. Yeah. But going back to your question on on have I had an addiction issue without getting into into anything specific, we can be addicted to more than just drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, unhealthy TV programs, you know, there's a lot of different things. And I I think that in my life I have suffered from um, bouts of addiction to specific things. And and I share sometimes... um, my, my diet is very funny. I won't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. And the reason I don't eat sugar is at 17 when I moved out, my breakfast was a bag of double stuffed Oreo cookies with a gallon of whole milk. Um, then Sounds delicious. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then lunch was um, six raspberry-filled powdered jelly mm-hmm. donuts and a double big gulp of, of Dr. Pepper and then 39-cent bean burritos from Taco Bell for dinner. And I it's learned... Dream. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, until you get an ulcer. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, I just learned that sugar was unhealthy for me. It was not doing me any good. Mm-hmm. And I cut it out. Like, I haven't had sugar since 1993. Wow. And people will say, not a piece of cake, no ice cream, no, no, nothing. But what that's kind of like, I, I think that I suffered. You're going to live that. to be 150. I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that addiction is just, I felt like I couldn't live without it. And I mm-hmm. wanted it so much, I wanted it for every meal. And so I stopped on my own. And I don't think it's as easy to do that with, you know, drugs and alcohol, sure. obviously. But um, am I still addicted to sugar? Am I still an addict? I, I don't think so. You know, maybe I struggled with addiction mm-hmm. with that item for a period. But Yeah. Were you baptized in previous religion? Uh, yeah, I was baptized in the Christian. So you're double baptized. Yeah. Well, I, I think the first one didn't take. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have like a, a feeling maybe like an epiphany or, or any, any reaction when you actually had your Buddhist baptism? You know, I, I felt like the vows that I had taken were very serious. Um, and I think that just going through the ceremony made me appreciate it. I don't mm-hmm. know that I had like an epiphany or a spiritual awakening from it. Or a weight lifted or anything? No, no yeah, not from the Abhisheka. There, there's been Shucks. other things that, I, <laughs> that I've done that I have felt like a spiritual awakening from. Like what? Let me know. Yeah. Um, I'm searching. He's taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm part Native American. Okay. Um, there's a group in, in Nevada here in Las Vegas that is Lakota. Okay. Um, but they're open to everybody, including non-natives. Sure. And they do what's called a sweat lodge. I don't know if you've yeah, ever I heard of Yeah, I So the, the first one that I ever did was like this huge spiritual awakening for me. Um, it, and No peyote. I, no peyote. <laughs> uh, there, there was some water and, and beef jerky, I think, or yeah. beef jerky, but yeah, no just, peyote. Just old-fashioned sweating. Yeah, yeah. But it was like just the, yeah, I don't know what it was about it. There were several different things that really kind of affected me on a different level with that. Right. I mean, do you think that openness to those experiences is also helpful? I do. Uh, that was something that was really difficult for me because of my Christian upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my teacher, my, my Buddhist teacher, at one point told me, look, you don't have to believe it. Just don't disbelieve it. Because mm-hmm. when you go into it with the attitude of this is hippie yoga crap and it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Right. And he said it's the same way if you take, you know, a, an antibacterial or, or a, a, I'm sorry, an antibiotic mm-hmm. from the doctor, and you look at it and say, this is not going to heal my body, you're probably not going to heal as yeah. much as if you have the positive thought mm-hmm. that I'm, all right, this medicine's finally going to heal me. Right. Christianity, they have like good and the bad, God and the devil. Is there like a duality other than the yin-yang? Well, the yin-yang represents a duality, but um, in in Buddhism, there's there's karma. And okay. we talk about good karma and bad karma, sure. which I think is a, a, a heavily misunderstood I was just gonna say, concept. Yeah. Um, a lot of people look at it as a checkbook, you know, where I, I do a bunch of good things. And then when I do something bad, it just comes out of my checking account. And sure. I, um, but it's, it's not necessarily like that. The good things that we do create good. The bad things that we do create bad. It's Period. as simple as that. And um, there's no saving mm-hmm. it. No, and it's not something that we're looking for a re- reward from. Yeah, you know that's what you're talking about earlier. Yeah, um, it's it's more of just kind of a concept of when when I do good things, good things happen. And the the easy example I give people is, you know, I'm I'm a nice guy, I help a lot of people, and if I were going to move, 
hundreds of people would come over to my house and help me move because of the good things that I've done for them. Yeah. Whereas if I was, you know, more like Hitler, <laughs> nobody's going to want to come help me. Move. Other, right. That's, unless that's extreme. Unless they're terrified and show up because of that, you right. know, like, yeah. oh, I better go help this guy, you know. But in, uh, in Buddhism, they do talk about, you know, good and bad and, and good and evil. And, but they say, um, they say that one can't exist without the other. Sure. And um, one time I got really upset about a situation that happened where somebody embezzled money from our temple. Oh, no. And one of the other priests looked at me and said, but aren't you so happy that he's that person so you can be the person mm-hmm. that you are? <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know, it's a good way to look at it. Did you get the money back? We did not. Damn. But nobody got hurt over the incident, which yeah. is the most important thing. Right. But they could have. People always think because that I'm... Because you know Kung Fu. But yeah. <laughs> People always think I'm insane when I say things like that. Like if somebody gets mugged, for example, or robbed or something, or if I get something stolen from me, I always think like they must have needed it more than me. Or I've never been in a, a situation where I've had to ask for money on the street. Or I've, you know, I've never been in those situations and so when I say those things, they're like, are you kidding me? Like, you got ripped off. Like, are you joking? And I'm like, no, it's it's okay. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. So finding, I think, my internal peace for me is something that's helpful. But it seems crazy to other people. Yeah, I think it can be difficult for people to believe or to understand because they, they haven't experienced that or they've mm-hmm. been taught about sin, you know. And when you sin, you're going to hell. And, right. And I, I think that we in the Buddhist community tend to look at things a little differently. What is the afterlife? Is it it's reincarnation, yes, or a form of, or? So reincarnation, I think, is another very misunderstood topic. Um, I've, I've had the chance to sit down with several, several very high-level Buddhist teachers, and they all kind of have different views. Like the moral of the story is, in Buddhism, there's seven realms of, of, of carnation or reincarnation. And we're living in the realm of mankind right now where we have the opportunity to become the best we can be enlightened, which would mean not having any delusions and not causing any suffering and not allowing suffering to a form of Nirvana. Uh, yeah. Nirvana, they use the term a lot, um, but Nirvana is not really a place. It's more of a state yeah. of mind. Um, and so in, in Buddhism with reincarnation, the, the moral of the story is that in, in the event that I'm struggling with food addiction and I just can't get past it in this life, I might be reincarnated to the realm below us, which is the animal realm as a pig. Mm-hmm. where pigs, that's the only thing they think about is eating. And they'll eat each other alive if the farmer lets them. Um, but it's not meant to be seen as a punishment. It's meant that, okay, Tyson had this opportunity to fix all these things, but he struggled so bad with eating. We're going to put him in an area where that's all he can think about so that his next car- reincarnation, he's past the eating issue and he can start working on the other issues. Get it all out of your system, your yeah. spiritual Why would they send system? me for depression? Well, <laughs> the saddest, saddest place. That would be in the whole your world. next next yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> I think that there's like smaller examples of that too, though, that happen in your life, which like when you have like the lessons that you need to learn over and over again, or you you meet the same person or the same type of person over and over, and then eventually you wake up and you're like, oh. That's what I need to work on. Yeah, I, I think you're right when we get in those patterns mm-hmm. of, of behavior. And I look at it that way, too. You know, I'll, I'll say for people who are really struggling with the idea of reincarnation, because I, I don't think we're going to know until it happens, but then we're not going to know again because it's we're back in it again. <laughs> right. yeah. So I, I say, you know, for, for a period of my life, I was a butcher. Mm-hmm. I'm not a butcher anymore. Mm-hmm. I was. And for a period of my life, I was a very angry person. And people mm-hmm. who meet me now that I haven't seen for 20 years are like, wow, man, you're so chill now. You used to be so hyper all the time. So I think that we kind of reincarnate in, in it was this the sugar, mm-hmm. Potentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of things. Um, Eat carbs? I do. Yeah, I, I try to stay away from bread, though, because I'm trying to keep my girlish figure. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it turns into sugar, yeah? It, yeah. Sorry. Bread's the best. Yeah, I know it is, but... <laughs> Um, you used to work in a hospice. I, I did for yeah a period of time. How long did you work in a hospice? About three years. It was a little less than three years. Uh, th- this is before you were Buddhist or after? It was it was after I became Buddhist, but before I became a priest. And what what was your role? Um, initially, I went in to just kind of do some chit chatting with some of the the residents that had nobody there, and then mm-hmm. they asked me to kind of move into a, a non denominational position after I was ordained a priest. 
and do kind of grief counseling or spiritual counseling for people who are getting ready to pass, did some work with some of their family members, kind of just explaining to them that death is kind of a process in life. And it, it was... It seems it, so impossible for me to like be able to explain to somebody, like, you're done for. Well, I think they already know it before. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, or to be okay with it. It was, it was more the... You know, most people are not okay with death because of the things that they've done in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was the, the big role. You know, I a lot of my work as a non-denominational was a, a Jewish person who hadn't been to temple for 30 years. And now they're afraid that they're going to go to the Jewish version of, of hell because they hadn't seen a rabbi or and that's why they wanted to speak to me. And I would say, you know, that's... It's ridiculous. Don't think like that. You know, you've been a good person from all the things you've told me. And so it was more of a trying to get them to, to just be at peace with their life. Mm -hmm. There's got to be people that were like, yeah, I don't have any of those problems. I just don't want to die. Like, I just can't get over it. One moment I'll be there and one moment I won't be. It was a difficult job. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> there was a lot of different people that, that I dealt with. People who didn't believe in God at all believed that everything was just going to end. And I, I don't. I don't really remember meeting anybody that was like, I just don't want to die. You know, they were, they were all, I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's like my new year's resolution every year. Don't die this year. Don't die. Every episode, Chris has a moment. <laughs> yeah. This was that moment. This episode. <laughs> what an interesting shift though, to go from your previous profession to working in recovery. Did, do you have a, I know Chris asked you about your own personal experience with addiction, but do you have any family members or anything that, or do you have like a personal tie to addiction recovery or did it just, it just happen? It, it really just happened for me. Wow. And this, this job that I'm working right now, um, as a spiritual counselor kind of fell on me because I, I semi, well, I retired from my, my state position in May, um, to spend more time with my family. Mm -hmm. And then I got the phone call a couple of days later, do you want to work part time? And, um, it, it just was kind of my, my life is kind of like that. My mom has always called me the lucky idiot. Mm -hmm. Um, good things kind of happen to me. Um, but I, I, I like to think that good things happen to me because I do good things. So yeah, it, I really didn't come from a background of wanting to work in it, um, or any experience with it. It just kind of fell into my life. I think that's really nice because I think that's unique to a lot of people that are in the recovery industry. So it doesn't sound like you have a preconceived idea of what things should look like. You just go and offer what you have to offer in terms of spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we do, I, where I'm currently working, um, I work with a lot of clients who do believe that in God or, or are Christian or are Baptist. And, mm -hmm. um, I spend as much time with, with people who do believe in God as I do with people that don't believe in God. So it's, it's a fun, it's a fun job. Right. You use the language higher power a lot. Is that something that you learned in the recovery community? Or is that something that you identified it as? Because I feel like higher power is very 12-steppy. Um, um, I've used the term prior to this, mm -hmm. um, but they use it a lot more in the recovery setting. Right. Um, but for me personally, it's something that my teacher introduced to me as when I told him, well, I don't know if I believe in God. And he said, but do you believe that there's a higher power? And I said, well, what do you mean? And mm -hmm. he said, do you believe that there's something that might influence or have influenced life? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, that's the higher power. Right. So I don't know if that answers yeah, your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. It really does. Yeah. I also wonder, I know that you, you don't have a lot of experience with many, many different recovery centers, but do you feel like the services that you provide, are there any restrictions? Are there any, or do you just get to get, get in there and do your thing? Um, there really haven't been any restrictions put on me. I try to let the clients know up front that I'm not a mental health counselor mm -hmm. and that I'm here for spiritual issues. I'm happy to talk to you about whatever you want, but if we hit those areas where I feel like, okay, I definitely have that right now where mm -hmm. I want to ask you some stuff. that's like, eh, that's not that's that spiritual. It's more mental healthy, more for or, me than for him. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 it, I do get like questions that are mental healthy that we mm -hmm. address specifically Spiritual. from a spiritual nature, and I tell them, but you really should talk to your mental health counselor about this because <laughs> right. I'm I'm not really qualified to be giving you advice in that area. Because you're you're semi new to recovery industry, yes. Well, I've worked for the VA for the last nine years, but as a as like a, a business setting. Like uh, yeah, VA is kind of military based, right? right. It's, uh, oh yeah, talk about restri other restrictions there. You don't have to say because um, it's you know 
This is not a secure podcast. (laughs) I've been very fortunate with Mm -hmm. the people that are my superiors at the VA hospital. Um, They've they've allowed me to kind of run my groups the way that I want to run them. We haven't had any issues, which is Mm -hmm. why I think they haven't put any restrictions on me. But yeah, I, I am new to like the recovery setting where it's an inpatient or even an outpatient that's like a temporary program. Mm-hmm. The, the VA is more of an ongoing program where I've had some of the same veterans for nine years wow. that I've dealt oh. with. That's incredible. Do they become friends like at that point or? They become yeah. family yeah. more than friends. Yeah. I mean, they get, anybody you know for nine years becomes family. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to draw like a line anywhere with with stuff like that? Like. I think you do, um, you know, like professionally, I think you do, yeah. but also like I, I only have so much time in a week mm-hmm. and if I were to do it for one and not for another, I could see where it would cause really bad potential yeah, you, issues. You're seeing Gary eight times a week. You only see me four. Right. Yeah. Or, Hey, I heard that you went out to dinner with Gary and, but you didn't go out with me and yeah. you know. Right. That's kind of nice because you have a little more flexibility by not being a mental health professional. Cause like we can't do that. Like you don't, you can't go to lunch with your therapist. You know, that's weird. And if people you can go are to listening, lunch with a therapist, right. With a therapist, yours. just not your therapist. <laughs> like I'm a therapist, but I'm not your therapist. So it's completely different. Do you ever encourage your clients or people that you work with to do martial arts or, um, the facility that I work at has a Qigong program, which is like a breathing, moving mm-hmm. exercise program. And the ones that like that, I, I tell them to continue doing it because any positive activity that we get into kind of, it, it keeps the body healthy, number mm-hmm. one, but it also keeps us busy. And for the the people that I've known personally that have relapsed, usually it's because they're, they don't have their time filled enough mm-hmm. or they don't have enough going on in their life or not enough positive things and they start to feel down again and then right. it's... Back to the old problem. Here's a big question. Do you ever just get tired of people's bullshit? Um, not if they're... What? I mean, you're like a guy mm-hmm. people go to and just like, Dad, I got this problem and I got this problem and I need mm-hmm. this help and I need, I need, I want this fixed. And it's like, you're just like a guy, <laughs> like you're a normal guy too. But in mental health land, we call it compassion fatigue or burnout. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't think that I get tired of it in in that sense. I mean, excuse my language, by the way. I'm kind of a tough love person where like if I have somebody who wants to complain, 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 Mm -hmm. I say, okay, great. Let's pick one of those things and figure out how we can fix it. Yeah. And if they're just complain, 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 I say, okay, well, what, what we really need to do is, sounds like you've got a lot of things you're unhappy about. Let's write down two or three of them over the next few days. We'll meet again and let's talk about two or three of them from a spiritual aspect and see what we can do to improve those in your life. And it, it, I think it kind of weeds out the people that just want to vent, just want to dump. And mm-hmm. venting is fine. I mean, I, I vent to my wife once in a while. I think that it's a very healthy mm-hmm. thing to do as long as you can vent and be done with it. Yeah. It's when you hold on to it and have to vent to multiple people that it becomes an issue. Right. I think that the, the question that was important because it's not really just getting sick of people sharing those things with you because I don't get sick of hearing it, but it, what it is is I, I recognize for me when I'm not taking care of myself enough or when I've neglected my own just having that weight practices. So yeah. What mm. do you do to take care of yourself to help to be a helper? Because to help you have to help yourself. Right? To not be taking all of this pain around with you everywhere. There's meditation that we do, uh, Tai Chi and Kung Fu. I mean, there's a lot of things that I do that keep the body and mind healthy. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the big thing is I have a very, my wife is a wonderful person. I have a very happy home life because I only work in the recovery center a couple of days a week and I work at the VA hospital one day a week for a few hours. It's not such a major portion of my life where like a therapist who's seeing 40 patients a week and gets that fatigue. Mm -hmm. I don't really get that fatigue because I'm not that involved. Yeah, that's nice. And it sounds like you get to teach people more about spirituality too. And then they, of course, share their stuff. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but... No, yeah, that's absolutely it. And, and the majority of the, the individual groups that, or I'm sorry, individual sessions that, that I do, people want to talk about spirituality, their own spirituality, and how can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. And I don't get as many of the people that are, my life sucks and my car's wrecked and my dog doesn't like me. And, you know, it's not. Whose dog doesn't like them. Right. Some people, you know. It's <laughs> weird. Yeah. 
do you have like any like lasting uh, advice or like opening advice for somebody who's wants to get sober or is thinking about it or is thinking about getting into this mm-hmm. community or how spirituality can enhance their recovery, take it to the next level. Boy, lots of good questions. Yeah. There. Um, so like the, the outside of spirituality, the biggest advice that I can give is like to get on, like whether you're in a, a residential or an outpatient or an inpatient, however you're doing it, getting a program set up afterwards mm-hmm. and sticking to that program, I think is key. It's number one to, to not relapsing and staying sober. Um, as far as spirituality goes, I think that um, in an inpatient program like what we're doing, I think that it's very important to spend the time to try to figure out like whether you want to affix to a denomination, a specific religion, or find a spirituality. But finding one of those things, I kind of think helps gives you a, a healthy balance in life. It's It's a lot easier for me to justify anything that I want to do when I have no like spiritual morals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that the, the whole like forgiveness and repentance thing is, is another misunderstood concept in the Christian religions. It, it's not a, like a, a, here's your, here's your past to go do whatever you want, because then you can ask for forgiveness and you're, you can go back and do it again and come back and ask for forgiveness. You know, it's supposed to be asking for forgiveness and then not doing it again. So regardless of what the spiritual mode is that you pick, I think that it's very important for recovery to have one. Hmm. How urgent I guess what I'm asking is, can people take their time with selecting a spiritual pathway? I, I think they can take their time as long as they identify like a higher power to mm-hmm. look to for like post program. Right. Um, I, I think that that's the biggest thing is just understanding that, you know, we need something to look at as greater than us that can help us. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, I, I tell a lot of the, the clients who are just like, I, I don't believe in a higher power. I say my cell phone is a higher power Mm -hmm. in the sense that if I want to go and punch somebody in the face, I can scroll through and find, oh, here's so-and-so who's going to say, why would you want to be mean and hurt somebody else? Mm -hmm. Conversely, I could scroll through to my Kung Fu teacher and say, I want to punch somebody in the face. And he would say, okay, make sure you close your fist right. Make make sure you (laughs) square, you know, you have that that choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and when I'm sitting on the fence, I usually know which side of the fence I should fall but I, I, sh- I can call the right person to make sure that I do fall on the right side of the mm-hmm. fence. Yeah, that makes sense. I always explain to people too, like higher power, like this in, to me in my mind is like a higher power. There's three of us sitting here with three humans talking about something similar. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. It's incredibly informing. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little shell shocked because you answered questions that I didn't even know I had. Chris has that mind blown look on his face. <laughs> well, <I> just, <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's right. Mm-hmm. just need to be nicer and nicer things will happen. It's pretty much that easy. <laughs> so, he, so he was sitting on the fence. He knew the answer. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> and then I'm sitting there like, yeah, right. I believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe what you're saying is true. Turned on the light true. for Chris. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice that, that you're a part of this community. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very uh, much. They're, luck, they're lucky to have you. I enjoy it. It's, it's good for me spiritually as well. I also think it's really cool that you're Buddhist and kind of teaching non-denominational spirituality to people because one mindfulness is everything to me and programming and the brain and whatever it's everything but two I also worked in a treatment center in west Texas and spirituality doesn't mean spirituality it means very like dogmatic west Texas baptist that's spirituality, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's much more rigid. So it's nice that you're here in this community doing something different. That's more open. It gives people more flexibility. That's nice. Thank you. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I can't tell you how much I love it. So Very good. Any last comments? Live long and prosper. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, thank you, Tyson. Thanks for this having was, me on. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. It was fun. Um, you're listening to Recover Everything. Follow us on Twitter, 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 Instagram, Facebook, all the things. We're at Recover Everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.